it wasn't a cause when I started eating vegan. Uh, it was literally just something I was going to try out because I wasn't feeling very good and somebody suggested it and I just felt amazing. This is the podcast where you meet people who are not similar on the surface. They're not on magazine covers and they all have different jobs. But like all of us, they've made big choices and ponder the big questions. Learn what makes them tick and what we all share as fellow human beings. This is Get to Know an Average Joe. All right, we are on uh, the southern island of Stockholm in the apartment of one Cheryl Olebrand. But you say it as an expat, you pronounce it a little bit differently. I do. Uh, I When I'm in the States, it's Olebrand. It's just the simple A. But when I'm in Sweden, I get special and I get a little circle on top. You are not an Olebrand from the beginning. Shall we talk about how that name came about briefly? And why you chose to keep it? Well, um, I was never the type of person who I thought would change my name when I got married. And yes, I have been married, have been. It was really important to my husband because he didn't really have anyone to quote unquote carry on the name. It wasn't a concept that I understood. At the same time, I ended up accepting it. And it worked out great because I was never married to my maiden name. My maiden name was Brown. Boring. Not very Googleable. You know, even if even Cheryl isn't a you know terribly common or uncommon name, but Cheryl Brown, there were all these like amazing Cheryl Browns in the world, biologists doing all kinds of things, and I just kind of thought, okay, I've got some articles online. <laughs> so, but to be quite honest, the the kind of sad thing behind it is that it really helps me in Sweden to have a Swedish last name because you're already blonde and blue eyed, so you don't need necessarily a lot of extra help to, as they say, pass. But yeah, it's not even a matter of when I open my mouth because a lot of people who hear me speaking Swedish don't realize that I'm not Swedish, but it is a matter of now that when I introduce myself to someone, then they'll say, oh, was, were one of your parents perhaps British, you know, because I have Cheryl. Cheryl's very not Swedish, but I am the only Cheryl Olebrand. I am the only Cheryl Olebrand in the world. So I am so Googleable. I love it. So you're not an average Joe. Tell me about little Cheryl Brown. What did you grow up believing that you wanted to do? And what was that like? Ooh, what day? I, w- I wanted to be a writer, but, but not, not the type of writing that I've ended up moving into. But really, I don't know if it was novels or if it was nonfiction. It was just, I thought that I, I had at least one book in me. And did you write a bunch of stories as a kid? I definitely, I okay, my little time to brag. I was English student of the year <laughs> in my high school. I wrote a lot more poetry, to be quite honest. I entered some some poetry contests and won the sort of, not the, not the really important things, but I, I won a little bit for my poetry. I still would kind of like to get into spoken word, to be honest. I think that would be fun. Do you still read poetry? Not so much actively, no. I mean, when, when I stumble across a poem, I can sometimes be very moved by it, but I'm, I'm not devouring books of poetry now. Is there any poem that stays with you that you would be able to recite? <laughs> to be quite honest, the stuff that has really moved me within the past few years has been spoken word. And there was one, that song like, Mother, Am I Pretty? I think something along those lines. And the woman just recited the refrain of a song 
you know, like, will I be pretty and witty and gay? I can't remember the whole song. But she, so she kind of starts in with that. And then she just brings in her own, you know, experiences. I guess that her mother had paid for her to have a nose job when she was young. And will I be pretty? And this is part of the whole thing, you know. And she's just like basically in tears. And she's like, will I be pretty? Will I be pretty? And then she gets upset and talking about what she wants to leave to her eventual daughter someday, you know, and just saying, you know, you will be anything but pretty pretty you know you will be strong you will be and just you know going off and there's just so much power in that it still makes me tingle thinking about it so do you what is your relationship to being pretty or having beauty it's really fluctuated um I I get happy when people think I'm attractive but I, I I don't think it ever I mean, I don't, I don't think I'm unattractive, except for sometimes. <laughs> you know, we all have those days. But I think I always get a little bit surprised when people think I'm pretty. I want to talk to you about some of the passions, because we've been friends for, uh, let's not count, but if, <laughs> Over 15 um, years. In, in my observations, you are a person who attacks life uh, with a lot of passion. And you go through phases. So at one point you were a rollerblader. You did some roller water derby. roller derby player, and you did water polo stuff. Underwater water rugby. Yes. All right. Okay. So I'm I'm picking all of the less violent sports here. You're correcting me. Yeah. See, what you have to know about me is I am still American. So I, I've got a mean violent streak running through me. Unfortunately, it was something I think that I genetically inherited. Right. I remember. But back back when we first started working together, we went out to the archipelago on a team building and we were shooting skeet. I'd never touched a weapon in my entire life. I do happen to be very anti-weapon, by the way. And uh, so I kind of thought, okay, well, we're, we're going to be shooting these clay pigeons. Um, I'll do it as part of the team building thing. And you and I both hit. We both, we both hit the target. I've never I have no memory of that. Wasn't I pregnant? This no 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 you weren't pregnant until I was already in New York. Okay. No, this was this was uh, around two thousand two thousand one oh. is when this would have been, and and uh, it was funny because we took a, a picture of the winners. That's why I know you also hit the target because um, the people who were in the target there was Northern Ireland. <laughs> Two Americans and some Swedes who had done military service. <laughs> Talk about genetic, right? Yeah, exactly. Some stuff you just can't deny. Yeah. Wow, I don't remember that at all. Yeah. But you are, so you are anti-violence. You're also pretty anti-meat. So now let's move to the topic of being vegan. Um, you are, I mean, as fits your personality, I think you don't do anything by halves. So you're, you're super strong on vegan and a lot of your posts on social media are about how eating meat is just bad for the world and bad for people. So tell me about being vegan. Wow. Yeah. I, I mean, violence is violence is violence. Violence begets violence, right? So I don't believe that any of us are better than anyone else. I honestly, as, as a person, I don't believe that. I don't see, obviously, I see the environmental, you know, issues that it causes, and it also causes health issues. So I'm just like, lose, lose, lose. Let's go for some win, win, win instead. And as you said, I don't, I don't do anything half-ass. Why is it a campaign for you? Mm. Do you know what I mean by that? Right. Voice for the voiceless. When I was young, I think 
probably starting around the time I was in eighth grade. One of my friends uh, was black from a, a mixed family, you know, a, a black mother, uh, white father. And another friend was Chinese from Hong Kong. And this was right around the time that China took back Hong Kong, which is why her family left because they weren't sure what was going to happen when it took back over. And it was funny. We were this group. It was like a redhead, a brunette, a blonde, you know, a black girl and a Chinese girl. And we just... You guys were like an after school special poster. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Completely by accident. And and when I started seeing things that were happening around this time, um, Arizona, this is where I was living at the time, had a governor who had basically done something not very good in terms of the Martin Luther King Day, like was blocking it. And so we went and we marched, you know, from Martin Luther King Day to get, to get it put through. And here I am walking, you know, arm in arm with my girlfriends. And we're, we're not even 16 at the time. And uh, looking around. And, and after a while, you know, every time I'd see a white person, I'm like, oh, poser, you know, or something, you know. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm white. Like, I, for, I kind of forgot for a little while. And for me, it was just about, you know, you've got to stand up. You've got to stand up. Don't. It doesn't matter if you think it's you or not. It, it's sort of like that, uh, that whole idea of, and then they came for me. Mm. right mm. um i don't it's not it's not for those so, but, but this you relate you relate eating meat to and Everything. then they came for me yeah it, it, it's oppression it's a voice for the voiceless and i'm not i'm not at all saying that somebody who is you know suffering from racial oppression is voiceless they're not they absolutely are not but they need allies mm. and we need to you know get into the groups and, and influence who we can influence so for me when it comes to meat it, it wasn't a cause when I started eating vegan uh, it was literally just something I was going to try out because I wasn't feeling very good and somebody suggested it and I just felt amazing and, and my um, husband at the time was a little bit concerned you know saying so, you know, if you're going to do this, what do we need to worry about in terms of protein, you know, right. things like that, because you hear that a lot. And so I did. I looked into all kinds of nutrition books and studies, and I was like, wait, this is a lot better for I mean, like, not even questionably better, not marginally better, but a lot better for us. And I thought, that's, I know it flies in the face of what we're used to listening to, but at the same time, follow the money and, you know, see who's making money and who's blocking yeah, the Harvard studies that are coming out saying that, you know, milk is bad for us, meat is bad for us. Right. So you've been an activist since since you were young, and here we are in Sweden. So let's let's not discuss American politics, but let's instead turn to Swedish politics. How important is is it for you to be active in the Swedish political scene? I have to admit that up until recently, I didn't see a lot of need to. I mean, yes, I vote. Mm-hmm. I do. I vote. Uh, and I kind of pay attention, but I'm not part of any of the political parties here. We've got a lot to choose from here. Um, and I will, you know, quite openly, I did uh, I did support the Feministisk Initiative mm-hmm. uh, when they had their kind of sort of big elections, you know, last time around. And was, of course, living in my little echo chamber and completely disappointed when they didn't really win very much. And right. when the racist Swedish Democrats ended up winning a lot. Because we're, we're living in Stockholm. We're not living the same. It's kind of like the same thing you see in, the, in Brexit in the U.S. Now you are, you're in Sweden for the foreseeable future. You don't plan to go back to the U.S. Or are you, are you thinking about moving out of the country? My plan for the last several years, obviously I haven't really made this happen very well, is I'd like to use Stockholm as my hub. There's so much of the world left to see. 
I'm very interested in, in relocating for, for an amount of time. So you're not a millennial, but you kind of have that mindset about not having, not owning a place, just having the world as your residence. Well, I do own a place, and I, and it's turned out to be quite a good investment so far. So um, I would probably try to rent it out while I was away. But yes, it, it's still that that idea, that mentality is I would I I would prefer to consider myself a citizen of the world, even though I've only lived in a few countries, you know. And um, yeah, I want to keep seeing what's out there. I think in, in, unless we continue to learn, we we die. Mm-hmm. So as you as you get a little bit older. Um, little Cheryl wanted to be a writer. Grown-up Cheryl is doing some corporate writing. If you look, you know, into your crystal ball and think, how are you going to tackle the next phase of your life? I'm looking to change careers. I'm looking to move into a field that I see growing quite a bit. I'm very interested in interaction design. Uh, And the way that I'm going to get there, we'll see. I'm looking into it right now. So I think that a lot of it will end up depending on which agencies or companies I get into or start my own and where that takes me. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm, I'm really open. I'm just, I'm, yeah, I'm a, I'm a little bit, I'm kind of concerned. What is it, William Faulkner, who said, uh, don't be so open-minded that your brains fall out? Oh, I have no idea. I don't remember. It was, he, he might have said minds are like parachutes. They f- function best when open. Somebody, somebody said one of those two trite things. And, uh, Which I like are them. totally different ideas. Yes, <laughs> they are. They are. But I like them both. And that just kind of shows I'm capable either of depth or compartmentalization. I'm not sure which. Maybe both. For the record, quote investigator attributes, do not be so open-minded that your brains fall out, to a professor named Walter Kochnig in a graduation address at Mount Holyoke College in Massachusetts way back in 1940. And the quote, Minds are like parachutes, is credited to Thomas Dewar of Scottish whiskey fame. William Faulkner said a few good things that fit Cheryl, now that we all know her past and her present a little bit better. Never be afraid to raise your voice for honesty and truth and compassion against injustice and lying and greed. And another one, Poets are almost always wrong about facts. That's because they're not really interested in facts, only truth. Thanks for listening to Cheryl's Story. Next time, join me and Sheila Burpee Duncan at her favorite Stockholm breakfast joint. Started off a little um, firm in Winnipeg, Canada. That that crazy high-tech mecca, yeah. Yeah, uh, stuff happens. Um, I don't, I'm not one of those people that can ever answer the question of what is your five-year plan? That's next time on Get to Know an Average Joe. And now, if you'll excuse me.